Hi there! Welcome to Textures, a podcast about arts, design and entrepreneurship. My name is Valérie Legras. In each episode, I meet with an artist, designer, creator, innovator, individuals who add textures to our world. We discuss how they are able to make it happen. Join me in discovering their world, their work, and how they go about living and leading a life that inspires themselves and others. Today, I have a pleasure to host James Catalano and Chimnus Maguire from Cicada Studio in New Orleans, two of the four co-founders of a very unique architectural studio. I'm excited to explore their adventurous mindset and discover their philosophy and approach to architecture. In this episode, we will discuss scanning, prototyping products, documenting historic landmarks, and showcasing architectural models. We also discuss business partnership. We often think that having business partner can be very challenging, but you will learn in this episode that joining forces can also be key to success. The Sigala team is very diverse and complementary. By meeting with James and Simnus, I learned that entire building could be scanned into 3D. At Cicada Studio, I found 3D printed models of homes and multiple other project mock-up. What a neat way to bring a vision to life. These creative minds are constantly pushing the envelope with technology and provide extensive services to fellow professionals, architects, designers and other individuals. In this episode, I hope you reconsider the traditional way of engaging with architecture. Welcome to James and Seamless. Okay, so Seamless uh, and James, Hello. thank you for coming here. Hello, thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. So Seamless, do I say your name properly? You're saying my name perfectly. Hi, where are you from originally, your roots? So Valerie, I grew up in Kenner, uh, Kenner, Louisiana, and um, I'm, a, I'm a Jefferson Parish kid at heart, so I'm, I'm for the... For for most of the people listening, I'm from the great, Greater New Orleans area. But Seamus, where does it from? What is oh, my mother, name? <laughs> yeah, Seamus. The the word itself is a um, it's basically just an Irish name for James. So James and I are actually the same person. Kindred spirits, and I'm from Kenner as well. Oh, that's right. We're greater both... New Orleans area, Jefferson Parish. We're both Kenner boys. Both Kenner boys. Both Kenner girls. You both went to LSU architecture school. Yep, both went to LSU. Seamus, you had a little bit of different path. Where you went? Well, I had a similar path in a sense that I also went to LSU. Um, post LSU, post graduation, um, I actually came out. I graduated during the recession, and so worked an odd job for about a year, and then decided to go to get my master's degree at University of Kansas. So that was kind of the departure between James and I. And the only difference is I went to uh, Washington D.C. to study at the Washington Alexandria Architecture Consortium. Um, for a year while at LSU, which is kind of like a study abroad, uh, but it's not abroad. It's just in Washington, D.C. But they bring 12 different professors and uh, students from 12 universities around this, the world all into one place to well, that's pretty cool. teach and learn. Yeah, so yeah. I got like my international experience there. James is always trying to show me up, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so you guys, you finally meet up again, I guess. Unless yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe you didn't lose... Track, uh, lose track of each well, other. We never really, we interacted at LSU, but we never really knew each other. Yeah, I mean, for the record, James and I are, we're in, you know, we're in, th I think, three years apart from a, from a grade school standpoint. I was, um, 
you know, I graduated in 2010. I think James, when did you graduate? 2013. 2013, yeah. So we're three three years apart in um, via architecture school, and then we really kind of met up um, on the professional level. Okay. And then what you spent? You decided to start a company together? It just came like that? It was, uh, well, you know, Seamus can be very... Uh, Persuasive? Oh, yeah. He'll just, he'll, he'll rope you right in, you know. You just need a few conversations and a beer and, you know, <laughs> you're just following his coattails. So, so yeah, so you, you go to, you meet at LSU and how did you decide to start together, to work <clears throat> together? So on the professional level, you know, like I said, James and I, we're, we're three years apart academically. Uh, but once you get into the professional world, you know, all that kind of goes away, right? So at the time, I was the office manager at uh, Grace Hebear here in New Orleans, and we were scouting for talent, and um, James was a clear candidate to be an asset to the team. And so I had reached out to him um, at that time and said, hey, James, do you want a job? And that was really it. And the other founders of Cicada, both Paulo Perkins and Matt Dakotis, uh, they too worked at Grace Saber as well. And so all of us had a historical background of working with one another prior to even considering, you know, taking the step. You know, partnership is, you know, can be very difficult when you are doing business because you need to be on the same page. How does it go for you guys? Oh, we're, we're constantly, uh, we, we call it painting and polishing. Someone's has the task of painting and then the, there's someone else is always in charge of polishing. I can throw a lot of paint on the wall, <laughs> but it's not always pretty. Um, I, I think with, with four people, uh, we do very well talking with each other and, you know, stimulation. It, it, yeah. It's, it's, it also is easier to do a lot of those difficult ta uh, tasks, you know, the finances, the business, the marketing, when you can divide those up, um, which makes it a little bit easier to go throughout your day, a little less stressful. But of course, we do end up with a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, right. So, but it's it's all it's all for the best. Uh, you know, we're constantly in communication on the computer, on the phone, uh, texting each other on the weekends and at night. So it's it's a good relationship, I think, between everyone. Uh, to me, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, it was a curse in a sense of when you when we first got started because we had so many mouths to feed right off the bat. It's not like I'm a sole proprietor and I only need maybe one or two projects a year to meet, you know, my livelihood. You're having to meet, you're having to, you know, you have four grown individuals who, you know, have to meet, who have to make X amount of dollars to pay their mortgage, you know? So like, and that capacity when we started, it was a little daunting because, you know, we had to meet high expectations mm -hmm. plus we didn't really have much work at the time but the I, i think the benefit was is that we you know the diverse backgrounds of not only our networking backgrounds um but also our skill sets yeah so expertise. we all exactly so we all provided um you know those tools in which in which you know we inherently had to succeed which we actually you know i think we knew that we had that but i think you know mm. six months later uh, we were Are, we were exceeding those expectations. And so Cicada was born. Why Cicada? Ooh, that's a good one. So we've always talked about, you know, how do you, how do you name a company without pigeonholing yourself into one specific thing? And I think the number one uh, goal for starting the business with the four of us was to keep us as diverse as possible and to always have... Uh, the option to direct ourselves in any direction we wanted to go. So, of course, we're all trained as uh, architects, 
Uh, and the architecture schooling and design school teaches you so many different types of skills, and they teach you a different way to kind of see the world, which um, nowadays there's so many opportunities for those types of skills. So, you know, of course we do architecture, design, uh, a little bit of interior design, but a lot of 3D modeling, 3D printing, rendering, uh, other services for other firms, animations, uh, photogametry, laser scanning, uh, industrial design, and they all are in the same circle. They're just, you know, they're hitting on di- different, uh, I always say different corners of that circle. So, so you just nailed it. You are, <laughs> are definitely not just a regular architectural firm. There is so much behind the door. Yes. Uh, it's all about high technology or, t- you know, uh, digital com- technology. Yeah, when it comes to digital digital design, I mean we're we're in a we're in a world that everything's digital, you know. So I mean we're we're hardly drafting by hand anymore, if you will, right? So I mean everything is through the computer. Uh, we're modeling through, you know, we're as we're drawing those lines in, in Revit, you know, it's not just a line anymore; it's an actual wall. So it's certainly digital, you know. So if you have a list, if we can maybe detail a little bit you, you know james you just threw up sorry right. you were like okay well, so digital modeling you do yeah. uh, building scanning yes. all these things i mean this is very impressive well i, I kind of want to go back to you know the name cicada you know yes. i think what james we was really harping that. on is that we didn't necessarily want to pigeonhole ourselves in one in one facet of of design um we wanted to be able to grow as a company in, in any direction and honestly well, we wanted the company to be bigger than ourselves you know it's about it's not just about us it's about where's the company in 10 20 30 years uh, you know if, if if one of us was to leave and then we have a new partner come on like like those things to us matter as far as a, a strategy and growth you know and so we didn't want we wanted this company to be something bigger than just James Seamus Paulo and Matt we wanted it to really just be a company that can make a difference in the U.S., in the world. So. And, for example, what you were bringing up just now is the, the digital laser scanning of a building was not an, uh, a talent or asset that we started with. It wasn't even – we were aware of it and we knew how to do it, but we were never offering it as a service until, you know, we start working in the industry a little bit more in the city and we're seeing a lot of the behind-the-scenes of how these other firms are operating – they don't have this uh, service yeah. like of, available. Yeah. So we ended up doing it ourselves, and we learned it very rapidly, very quickly, and we realized how powerful and useful the tool is. Okay, can you detail yes, a little bit? Yes, I will explain it a little <laughs> bit. So I saw what you... Uh, now I see what you're talking about because I went into your studio and I can see what we're talking about. But I guess it's another world that a lot of people have no idea about. It, it's definitely another world. So laser scanning... Um, so typically when we get asked to do a project or a renovation, you have to go in and take measurements of the building. So we know how to draw it and then how to, ma- how to make the documents so that someone can build it or renovate it. Uh, laser scanning or point cloud mapping is when we take a, a device. It looks kind of, it's kind of looks like a big camera. It's on a tripod and it spins, you know, 1000 rotations a minute and it shoots a tiny little laser, um, and it can measure the distance between the, the tripod and a wall or a desk or something and basically creates millions of points and we call it the point cloud 
And with that point cloud, we have an extremely high level of accuracy of anything that it scans. So it could be in a room, it could be a TV, a lamp, a lantern, or it could be a tree, a pool. It, it, it scans everything and puts it to an exact measurement in the computer. I have a question. Yes. So <laughs> are you going through the wall? Like, for instance, you take a scan of a room, and I know you're doing the Superdome right now, which is, like, massive. Yes. When you scan the room, do you see where the plumbing is? Do you see where the, all the electricity, everything behind the wall or inside the wall? Do you see that? It doesn't go inside the wall. Imagine if you put a light bulb in the center of the room. It's everything the light touches. So if there is a shadow of an object, so if you have something hanging, it does not see what's behind it. But once you move the tripod that has the machine on it into another location, you can scan again, and then the software pieces everything together. Puts the NB together, okay. Now there are, it can get a little exhausting with the technology, but there is technology that can pierce walls and windows and water and plants, but that's that's a LiDAR and that's a whole, totally different thing. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so what else behind the door at Cicada? The 3D printing. I mean, that's big right now. Uh, It's growing everywhere. But in your specific uh, field, how do you see it? The 3D printing is is an integral part of our process. It's both, you know, integral in the design process, whether it's, you know, doing uh, multiple iterations of building design or furniture design um, to actually 3D printing for clients that actually come to us for a particular uh, product. Um, James, I'd like you to speak a little bit on that, a little bit more on this solely because James actually brought the three, the expertise of 3D printing, both him and his wife, Adrian Catalano. Uh, They actually owned a 3D printing company uh, prior to forming Cicada. So James is a a bit more intelligent on this. Advanced. Um, Not (laughs) Don't diminish yourself. (laughs) The 3D printing, a lot of it can come off as very like uh, is catchphrase or there's a gimmick involved in some way, but we definitely try to utilize it as a tool. Um, and essentially you're creating an object in the computer and then you're telling a, a, a CNC-esque machine to replicate it. Um, and the machines we're familiar with is called fused deposition modeling, which basically just melts plastic in a very precise manner. But we use it for ourselves. We use it internally for our architectural designs. Um, we're also using it with, in collaboration with other clients or other designers. We're doing a, a furniture collaboration right now with an artist uh, here in the city. We're also using it to create movie props. Um, there's a, there's a, a, a sci-fi TV series filming here in New Orleans, and you know these guys have ideas, and the, the script changes, and the sets change, and they need that change quickly. So they come to us and they say, hey, we need this type of device. Can you print it? So we'll say, yes, we model it and print it. And then the next day after it's done, they, they can hold the object in their hand. It's tangible. They, they can make an edit, and then we can change it in the computer and then print a new one for them. So it's, it's very versatile. It is versatile. To me, you know, as a business and selling the product of 3D printing, I find has been challenging. That's been the more challenging part of 3D printing in a sense of like, how do you articulate or get across to your client that, you know, this model that might be five inches by 10 inches is $800 or whatever it may be at that time. And it, it all comes back to the actual modeling time, right? So like you might have, you know, 
something in your mind or you even may bring us a, a model uh, to us for us to use into 3D print. But what people don't understand is that these models that you're providing to us aren't 3D print ready, right? So like James is having to spend eight hours of his time of that day to clean up the model to make it print ready. And then once he starts printing it, it actually may not print right. We might have to do multiple iterations mm-hmm. and that's, you know, an additional couple of days of printing. And so it's difficult to sell that service because it is a bit cost prohibitive at this point. Because it also, I guess, people don't realize, even, you know, that's a new technology and I think people don't have education, uh, the knowledge, sorry, that's right. to uh, understand the whole process. I think the other thing too is it's the actual output output of the 3d print itself so you know it's not we're not we're not creating we can't 3d printing can't compete necessarily with like you know multiple um materials of let's say like a chipboard model or a strapmore model that has color per se or like mm-hmm. etching and sketching or etching and um what else am i trying like to say gl- like gluing things together right, right, right. It's, it's just a- one tool and an arsenal of tools right. although it is a very efficient and clean tool right um, we will combine the 3D printer to create a site model. So we could print a floor plan, and then we can put a 3D model on top of it from the printer that is dimensionally accurate, and then we can use chipboard or any other details. Right, right. All of this to get to a point where we can explain to a client that here's an idea, and then here's a tangible manifestation of that idea in front of you which is sometimes very beneficial for to see objects in 3D space versus just reading uh, floor plans or drawing. Yeah, and, and also, it's, I mean, it has its good and its limits. That's but, right. That's you know, right. The limits are also because you, you cannot, you know, the material, you don't see the reality of a material. Uh, you don't see how materials that are in, within one product is going to interact with each other. However, it's a great way to have a, just put in your hand something tangible and just, you know, instead of being behind the computer and look at the angles, you can immediately see it and just turn, just turn around in your hand, which is pretty neat. Agreed. And some people, they don't, some people don't care. They'll look at it and be like, what am I supposed to do with that? Yeah, that's true. And you're like, okay, well, that's fine. And then you have other people who are so ecstatic, they want, you know, multiple copies just to like put on the shelf in their home, you know? So Right. We have one client who carries his 3D model of his building with him everywhere he goes. Oh, that's For neat. every meeting. Yeah, you have fans. <laughs> so if you, when you print something, um, are you sometime in a point where someone has a vision and say, this is great, it comes out fantastic in a 3D printer, but now I don't have a technology to make it happen, to make this shape happen in the real world. Because it's, I want to say it's not the real world, the 3D printing, but it doesn't take into, cons- into consideration all the uh, physics, technical part, uh, resistance of the material, and how we can connect with each other. So are you giving guidance or in that, you know, what's next? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a really good tool to represent something and it's very rarely used as an end product. Uh, it is used as an end product for uh, like the movie set design things or for our architectural designs. But when it comes to like an industrial design or if we're trying to do represent like a lampshade or something like that, it's really just the form that the 3D print does really well. And then if the client needs something that is a different material or if they need to mass produce it, we will guide them down a different path. Um, essentially, it's just kind of 
helping them realize the idea and it gives them something tangible to hold. And then from there we can say, okay, maybe you need to do another type of production where you're doing injection molding or resin, or maybe you're just, you needed to look at it so that you could chisel it out of wood. But I think to your point though, I think what you're saying or where you were getting at is let's say we were to create this biophilic sculpture that we designed in Rhino, for example, and 3D printed that, how do you actually then engineer that? Let's say if it's a building, you know, is it, are we, are we on the lines of Frank Gehry here? And it's like, how are you actually engineering that structure? I don't think we've necessarily come across that yet. I think the closest thing that we have come across to is furniture. So we're currently, like James was saying, we're currently collaborating with a furniture designer. And I think we're now at a point where we, we designed this really, you know, really cool furniture piece. And now it's like, whoa, how do we, how do we actually build this thing? That's exactly you what know? I was saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe I so, was not No, 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 you're it's, good. It's, it's like... Yeah, there is a, a, not a breaking point, but you have the, um, it's virtual, you know, the 3D printing. Now, how we turn that into a reality? Right. And, you know, as designers, I think we're always constantly trying to, trying to understand, like, as we're designing, we do have the the thought process of how are we going to actually build it in mind? You know, we're not, we're not designing in a bubble or on, you know, like anti-gravity, if you will. We're, we're always like contemplating how what's the assembly going to be what's that material going to be how are we going what are the bones of that structure going to be so we always do have a bit of you know the grounding of the structural integrity of the form that we're creating but i think at times it does allow you to push those boundaries exactly yeah i think it it really helps to push boundaries and trying to uh, see a little bit further than if you were just doing on a piece of paper and drafting i think just by touching it you Definitely, I have a better, different approach. So the technology changed the way you uh, work today. What's tomorrow? You see new technology coming up? Are you are you chasing for new? You know what's tomorrow? Because All it's always something new. We're we're. I mean, everything we do, I feel like, is just constantly evolving. We actually have built our own computers because we needed to keep up. We need to change parts rapidly to keep up with the amount of data and processing that we typically go through uh, during the day. As far as the future, I mean, I think, again, it's just how do, how do we utilize, how do we master the tools to help us with the end result? I think the end result is always how do you take an idea and then turn it into a real object, whether that be a building, industrial design, or a movie prop. Um, I mean, it's happening already where you can design a building and... 90% of it is being created by one machine. So they have 3D printers that are printing buildings right now and they're pouring concrete. Right. And I think the technology will slowly get to the point where you are creating the entire thing in a computer and one machine will be spitting it out. Right now we have people who bring parts together, but I think eventually uh, the parts will come delivered or built directly on site with just a single object so i think what's interesting is the so you have the virtual realities of the world the augmented realities of the world you know all of the wearable head devices that are that are changing the aec industry i think that's kind of to me like that's the writing on the wall of like how we as designers may start implementing like how we show clients their projects i think that's interesting um at the same time though you know the technology that we're always kind of trying to chase is you know, what is out there that can help us sell our projects 
better or make them look communicate better exactly communicate better to our clients that you know they can really understand it i mean it's very rare nowadays that we're just showing a floor plan to our clients we're we're showing them you know beautiful renderings that but the technology 10 years ago would have taken three days but now you know you can create a rendering within 30 minutes um and with the end result always to be you know, we, we can make things faster, but we don't lose quality. Right. Hopefully we increase the quality where we can truly make an assessment of a building or a design and be extremely holistic about it. And those are all just tools to eventually get us something that would work really, really well. We're, we're, we will always use the, the right tool for the job. We're not just right. using the technology because it's new, we're just trying to do it so that it's it helpful. Serve, it serves your cause, enfin, your cause, your business, or it serves the understanding for the clients. Exactly. It benefits, sorry, exactly it benefits right. the client. Or, or it's you. a good point, James. You bring up the, the kind of the tool set, right? So we have a toolbox full of different types of tools, and I think what can set you apart and what makes your workflow that much faster, what makes you more efficient as a company, reduces your bottom line, and then also, like James was saying, kind of like, puts that quality out there is knowing what tool to use at what time. And I think we've really mastered, uh, we've mastering that. Yeah. And we still, I mean, we don't, I mean, we're saying it a lot. We're in the computer, but like we still hand draw constantly. Right. We actually always, we, well, you have to, otherwise, otherwise, you know, you, yeah. if you lose the credibility, then what's, what's the <laughs> point of having the tools? Exactly. <laughs> That's right. We've even started to draw on the 3d prints, which is fun too. It's like, it's just another surface. Yeah, you're drawing with. Say it again. We're drawing on the prints with markers, so like we can th we'll be three D printing, oh. and we'll be drawing in te and technically in three yeah, D. See, which that's is, a yeah. totally new approach. And you, you're between. You, it looks like to me because you know all this new technology is fascinating, uh, but it's like again, whoa. <laughs> so you're between the. It's a mix of being an engineer to me and a mix of being a creative super creative you know mind plus an engineer i don't say the engineer cannot be creative but you know usually it doesn't really work together so you just encompasses all these skills which is pretty fascinating well i think it's mostly just like our interest well yeah maybe just a we're a little naive in that we just think like oh how can we do it right. and then we right. we're not afraid to spend the time to figure it out and if we can't figure it out We'll see if we can get someone to help us. But, That's right. Uh, we're, we're not afraid to ask questions. We don't know. We There's a 100% understand that there's a lot of people out there that know how to do something more efficiently or better than we do. And honestly, I, I think we pride ourselves on that as well as asking those questions or finding, facilitating the right person to help us with that job. So what it is today to be an architect? When you went to architectural school, what was your vision? Where are you today? I mean, what it is in 2020 you know, what it is to be an architect? Um, to me, I think to be a, a good designer, a good architect is really just to be able to critically think. So knowing that there's not one solution to any given question, um, to really understand your client, your client's going to come to you with a set of uh, ideas and desires and um, questions that they need answers to and it's your job in my opinion as an architect to to be able to critically think and provide them the proper building space you know if it's a building or i mean it could really be anything that we're kind of touching on right now whether it's industrial design or architecture but to provide them the best the best product for them that meets their needs uh asking questions i mean we're we're not we're not the the architecture firm that 
is going to kind of jam a design down your throat. We really want to know, you know, we want to facilitate what you need and provide you the best possible solution for that. So personally, I think that's what, where an architect is these days. It's, it's, it's finding solutions, you know? I totally agree with that. And I, and to, to bounce off of that, I think it's, it's the ability to listen to someone and then digest really what they need and what they're saying so that not only does it fit the needs and the function of what they need as a building, but you know, how does it benefit the community? How does it benefit the world at large? And then in a perfect world, you can also make it look really nice and That's be right. visually appealing. And then even in a better world, you're pushing the boundary and you're kind of creating something completely new that meets all of those needs as well as creates a space or an environment uh, that just benefits everyone. So talking about our community, we're here in New Orleans and a lot of things happening lately in New Orleans. It's just booming how do you see the city evolving in terms of uh, architecture? Because it's, it's, it's everywhere right now. To me, I think the writing's on the wall. I think it's, you know, how do, we, how do we live with water? You know, I think that's kind of the next step in our city is, you know, understanding buildings not just for today's owner, uh, really not just designing for this year or five years from now, but really understanding, you know, where are we going to be in 30 years? Are we going to be underwater? Like, how, how do you design for those environmental issues um you know i think as people we kind of unless it's happening or affecting us do we acknowledge that but i think it is our role as designers uh as architects to really consider the life cycle of that building and being in new orleans i think it's a unique task um quite honestly you know at this point in our particular projects we do a lot of renovation work so you know we're and we're always thinking about okay, we're on level one here. Is this a flood zone? Like what materials are we using, you know, uh, in that space that if it's going to get a foot of water, you know, is that going to mitigate their, their like, are they going to have to renovate? Are they going to have to take out an insurance claim for that? Like we're constantly thinking even from a renovation standpoint, how do we mitigate water issues? Um, the Jung Hotel actually is a very good example. We have a client who they, they get flooded, you know, I think last year they, they, their entire first floor level and basement level, I think flooded five times last year. And then the, the money at which they had to come out of pocket for that was astronomical. So their company, and I give it to them, they're always constantly thinking of how do we waterproof our buildings? How do we stay dry? And so that's just from a renovation standpoint. I mean, even new construction, I think we have to be way ahead of the curve. We have to understand how to adapt to these, to these issues. Well, still in, the, in your community, you, uh, you bring your expertise, of course, to your clients, but beyond that, you bring your expertise to children. I saw that you were training kids with 3D printing. So can you talk about that? Yeah, so my wife, Adrian and I uh, live catty corner to the Ashe Culture Center, which is on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard. And uh, a few times, uh, the director there has asked us to you know, come over and do a presentation about 3D printing. You know, a lot of these students don't, they know it exists or, you know, they just don't really know how it operates. And it's interesting because a lot of the digital world that we interact with, they're probably familiar with, they just don't really know how it happens. So movies, video games, these animations are all made in software that we all are very familiar with and that is very similar to the architectural uh, and industrial design software. Um, so we kind of present that to the kids and show them how it works. Um, and we've done a few classes there 
Um, How old the kids? Oh, it, the range. I mean, we've had three, four, five, six-year-olds, and oh, then awesome. up to teenagers. Uh, and you know, the the little ones, you know, are just excited to see and hold the little three D printed objects. And the high school students um, are are so it gets them so interested in architecture and animation. They just had no idea what it looked like behind the curtain. Um, so to see that for them, I think is it's very exciting, and I think it it entices a, a lot of interest in design for children who probably had no idea this profession existed uh, in the way that we were presenting it to them. So your love for New Orleans go beyond uh, what we just described, you're serving, you're serving your community. You also became a brand ambassador, I would say, for this city by creating a podcast, The Swarm. So I have to admit, I had to go on internet to make sure that I knew what it was because I didn't. That was a new vocabulary for me. Uh, if you can just explain yeah. us what you're doing. So the swarm, you know, it started quickly after we 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 began Cicada. Quite honestly, and it was the purpose was a couple of things. And I'll be honest with you, uh, it's a bit of a passion project. For me, and I'll kind of elaborate on that in a second. But Seamus loves a microphone. <laughs> I love a microphone. Ever since I was actually in college, I was either going to go into architecture or I was going to go into mass uh, mass comm and do journalism. And actually, I always wanted to actually work for ESPN and be on the sidelines and be sporting. Not a singer. You didn't want to be a singer. You know, Kara, my wife says I do pretty well. You know, singing in the shower. Karaoke. But, you know. <laughs> no, but um, you know. This, so the swarm, the name of it, is really just a, a play on cicada and how cicadas swarm. Um, that's that's where the name came from. But you know, the the purpose really was to do community. We were just talking about community outreach, and really, the, we felt that there was a hole in the market in the sense of there was nobody talking about architecture or even design or even really entrepreneurs in this city. And with that, we wanted to be able to bring these creatives on our podcast and talk about their trials and tribulations of not only starting their business, but how that relates back to architecture. And so, you know, we've had multiple people on, whether it's a restaurant, restaurant tours or, um, you know, construction managers for development companies or uh, fabricators, fabricators. Yeah. You name it. I mean, the, the spectrum is far and wide. Uh, but at the end of the day, like you're saying, we really wanted to, highlight those creatives in new orleans and it's you know in because it was such a passion project for seamus and just this exciting fun thing and we now had the freedom uh with our own business to kind of like fund these extracurriculars that uh, we were interested in uh, and then hopefully would benefit us in some sort of marketing aspect uh, of course, was which was just a plus to the act of getting... Yeah, put yourself out there yeah. and, you, you know, yeah. And right. and the joy of sitting and talking with someone for I an know, hour, I love an hour it. and a I half. I think we learn, we, we learn, I mean, it's, it's just sharing, being a, in a community and just exchanging. We all gain from it, so I agree with you. Yeah, the benefits, I think... Mm-hmm. We didn't, we didn't realize what we were getting ourselves into uh, from just buying the equipment to understanding how to edit the podcast. But like we're saying now is really just the relationships that we created and meeting these brilliant people in New Orleans that we would have never have met. Uh, like would, yourself. Like oh. yourself, exactly. Without, <laughs> without 
the means of a podcast and it's fun you know and, and like james is saying it's a passion project we can do it on our own time and we can select who we want to who we want to interview and where we want to take it and um and it's constantly evolving just like our company there's no rhyme or reason necessarily for who we may or may not be interviewing it's really just who's who's Right. Who do you want to interview? Yeah. It's just whoever returns our phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> no, and we are all on the same boat, actually, you know, and it's just like the more we share, the more we just, you know, get each other better, the best it is. And I think it's, you know, as, as an interior designer or you're an, as an architect, you have idea how you can make it happen. You need to have a right team. You need to have a right expert. It's someone who can just help you to implement your vision. And if... Uh, you just have not no one around you and nothing in your world. <laughs> right. and, and the thing too, it's, I mean, it takes time. Podcasting takes time, you know? So um, although it's a passion project, you need to carve time out for it to produce it. I mean, it's people's full-time jobs to run a podcast. Yeah, we we ended our last episode in our, of our season one in 2018, and I was listening to it the other day, and we said, all right, see you see in 2019, everyone. And then, of course, we didn't pick up the mic for another year. But I think that's that's okay. I think it's fine. Like, yeah. Yeah, it, you don't it have is. to, you know, really give yourself. It's not those, a rest. Right. It's for the quality of meeting the right people and just sharing right. the right thing. Yeah. Right. And then we, you give yourself these goals to reach. But it, I think it's okay if we, you don't always hit them. But you know, we picked it up again, and now we're in season two. That's right. Twenty twenty. Excellent. Well, Shimas and Jen, thank you so much. Thank you, Valerie, for having us. Thank you for having us. I hope you have enjoyed listening to my conversation with James Catalano and Shimnus Maguire of Cicada Studio. Their creative journey and approach to architecture is so inspiring. If you would like to learn more about Cicada Studio and their team, visit their website, studiocicada.com. For more information, you can also follow their journey on Instagram at underscore cicada. This podcast is an ongoing creative conversation for anyone who looks around and sees the added texture in their world and want to know more about who is doing it. Be sure to share texture with your friends and community. Find your preferred listening platform at valerielegras.com slash podcast or just listen to us on Spotify. Follow so that you don't miss any new episode. Thank you for listening. A bientôt.